So imagine it is Christmas morning. I know. I sound like a retailer. I'm skipping over Thanksgiving and jumping to Christmas. But I promise I'm not getting all yuletide just yet. But just hang with me for a second. So imagine it's Christmas morning. And there's a kid, and that kid is, is opening the present. And they are ripping through the paper. And man, they are excited. They're just shaking with happiness. And, and they're making monkey sounds. And I mean, they just can't wait to get into this present. And they, and they open up the box, and they pull out this fantastic toy. And they, they go to play with it, but it doesn't work. The toy doesn't work. And so the parent picks up the box and sees those three dreaded words. Batteries not included. And in that moment, the parent goes, no big deal. You know, there's a, there's a drawer in the kitchen. We got some triple A's and some double A's. We'll be fine. No big deal. But then underneath batteries not included is the even more dreaded words. In italics, this product takes 47 9-volt batteries. And the parent in that moment realizes, you know, the batteries are going to cost twice as much as the toy. And then they go, and there's probably not 47 9-volt batteries in the entire county, so I don't know what I'm going to do to get this toy working. Or maybe it's not Christmas morning. Maybe you are sitting in a restaurant, and you just ordered the Pepper Jack Bacon Cheeseburger for $17.99. And then underneath the menu, in bold letters, it says, fries not included. And then underneath that, it says, extra ranch for your fries, one ounce for $5.99. And you go, man, oh man. See, sometimes when we're looking in life, we, we see things that are not included. And the things that are not included sometimes can be unsettling, and sometimes they can just be frustrating. Especially when sometimes what's not being included is you. We've all had this feeling at least once in life, right? Where we, we are excluded. We are left out. We're ostracized. We are overlooked. We are snubbed. We are rejected. And sometimes that happens from our family. Sometimes it happens from friends. Sometimes it happens from people at school or people at work. Sometimes it happens from, sadly, even sometimes people at church. Sometimes complete strangers overlook us and, and ostracize us and reject us. And that feeling of being excluded, that feeling of being rejected, it creates discouragement. Sometimes it creates anger. Sometimes it creates fear and even worry. But what if there was a way to never be ostracized? What if there was a way that in the moment that you were being majorly rejected, that in that moment you were actually still being majorly accepted? What if there was a way that you would never be overlooked? What if there was a way that you would always, always be included? What is that way? Well, there is a way. And it's not just a hokey religious fairy tale. Listen to Luke 13, beginning with verse 29. Jesus says, And they will come from east and west and from north and south. So Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. And he's talking about a lot of people from a lot of directions moving in the same direction. Think about Harbison Boulevard in 12 days. Okay? You will have all kinds of people 
from just about every kind of background and every kind of upbringing, from almost every single community and, and every single economic group. You'll have people from every walk of life, every color of skin, every nationality, every religious belief, every fashion belief. They will all converge on this one road and they will go from store to store hoping to find a deal on, on TVs and, and designer boots and, and waffle robes and on and on they will go. So Jesus is describing a scene kind of like Harvison Boulevard, but he's not describing a group of people that are heading to the mall or to a shopping center. It's a different destination. Where are all those folks heading? Listen to the rest of verse 29. And they will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. So all of those people are meeting up, and all of those people will be meeting up at the main banquet table at the kingdom of God. Now, this crowd of people that Jesus is talking to had a lot of different people in there. Some of the people in this crowd never missed church, like never, never, never. Some people in this crowd went to church every now and then. Some people in this crowd, they never went to church, and there were probably some people in this crowd that had never even seen a church. They were just completely disconnected. And so this is the crowd that Jesus is speaking to, and somewhere in that crowd something happened that probably happens to us sometimes. Have you ever had somebody say something to you, maybe out in public you were in a setting like this, or maybe even just sitting at a table at lunch, and someone said something to you, and you immediately got offended? Ever had that moment where you immediately got offended? Well, the people in this crowd who never miss church... As soon as Jesus said that all these folks would be dining at the table in the kingdom of God, they got offended, like fast. And why? Well, they got offended because they were the church. They were the church. They were the ones that worshipped right. They were the, the ones that sang right. They were the ones that tithed right. They were the ones that dressed right. Their denomination was the only denomination that God recognized. They were the ones that built the church. They were the ones that kept the church going. The, the older folks had earned their voice. The younger folks were doing all the work. And they hear Jesus say, wait a minute, someone outside of that group is going to be at the table, and they're offended. They're thinking, well, wait a minute, they, they've never even been to our church. They've never even tithed. How could those folks come to the table. John MacArthur said this, Jesus made people either feel bad and repent or feel furious and react. So the idea to these church-going folks that the non-church-going folks might actually be at the table was throwing them for a complete loop. They couldn't deal with it. And for some of them, it would make them furious and they would react. How would they react? Would they throw tomatoes at Jesus? Would they throw water bottles at Jesus? No. Wouldn't be throwing things. They would react more like a crock pot. Okay? Their hearts and their minds were, were going to be like a, a crock pot. See, they were, they were going to start simmering and stewing with anger and apathy. See, their, their minds and their hearts would hear Jesus saying, these folks are coming to the table and, and they, would, they would stew. The anger would be, how dare Jesus just, just say these folks could get in? I, I'm not okay with that at all. But the apathy is a little more interesting. The apathy would be more like, 
I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. That silly carpenter. He's delusional. I don't have to worry about that at all because that would never happen. And they would kind of smirk inside in their hearts and in their minds. In 62 AD, King Agrippa II was in an area known as Caesarea. And he was in Caesarea to visit the new governor, Festus. And Festus had a prisoner whose name was Paul. And and Festus wasn't sure what he was supposed to do with Paul. So he decided to ask the king's advice. Hey, what would you do with this situation? And the king said, you know what? Bring that guy before me. And so Paul ended up in front of King Agrippa. And he spoke to King Agrippa. And this is part of what he said. Acts chapter 26, verse 22. Paul said, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. And what did they say was going to take place? Verse 23. That the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Paul was born and raised in church. He grew up to be a crazy student of the Old Testament. He eventually became a leader in the church. But Paul only had the Old Testament. He didn't have the New Testament. So when Paul got saved and Paul started preaching sermons about Jesus, Paul was preaching sermons about Jesus from the Old Testament, not the New Testament. He didn't have it. And so Paul's standing in front of a king who can condemn him to death. And this was what Paul said to him. He said, you know... I don't have anything new to say. Now this message that I'm giving you, it's not like a a cool new religious fad. I am right in line with Moses and all the other prophets. See, Paul said they were always directing attention to the Messiah. And I'm directing attention to the Messiah. And that Messiah is Jesus. And Jesus is a light to the Jews, to the churchgoers. And he's a light to the Gentiles, the folks who are disconnected and, and lost. So when Jesus stood up in a crowd of people one day and he said, you know what, all kinds of people are going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what he was not doing. He was not giving some grand revolutionary message. See, the message that Jesus gave that day was the same message that people have been hearing in every tent, in every tabernacle, in every temple, in every sanctuary, in every synagogue, in every church for about 4,000 years. The message was the same. So why did these church people bristle when they heard Jesus say that non-church people would get saved and be in the kingdom? Why would they bristle about something that they were already hearing themselves? Here's why they'd bristle. It's because they were looking with only their human eyes. They were using their personal opinions and their personal preferences as their baseline. And what they were really doing is they were forgetting the story. Or maybe they were rejecting the story. Or maybe they had never really heard the story. So what's the story? Let me see if I'm going to let Jesus answer that. On another day, Jesus was speaking and he said this, Luke chapter 15, verse 4. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever lost your wallet? 
Ever lost your cell phone? I mean, all your credit cards, your driver's license, your jelly of the month card. I mean, everything, all your contacts and your phone, all of them like gone in, in a moment. And unless you have lost every human cell in your body, none of us would laugh in that moment. No, we don't laugh. What do we do? <gasps> and we start reaching in our pockets. And we go and reach in our purse and our man bag and our fanny packs. And we're like, where was I? Where did I walk last? And we start retracing our steps. There's a, a sense of panic. Where, where is this? See, Jesus doesn't give a strange picture. He, he doesn't give us a picture that we don't understand. He gives a normal picture. He gives something that all of us can make a connection with. This shepherd, this sheep was valuable to him. It was, it was his livelihood. That sheep was part of his business and part of his family. So when the one sheep is gone, he needs to find it. He wants to find it. And so he leaves the 99 and he goes to get the one sheep. Jesus goes on. Verses 5 and 6 of Luke 15. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. There's joy, extreme joy, over finding his lost sheep. And then Jesus drops this into the conversation. Verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Joy. Extreme joy from heaven over what? Over one sinner that is no longer lost. Just one. Listen, if you're a Christian, please don't overlook this reality. The, the 99, they were left one day for you. For you. You were the lost sheep that God pursued, that God chased, that God rescued, that God saved. The 99 were, were left for you. That's why we sing, Oh, glorious day. Oh, glorious day. So, if you're a, a young, cocky Christian, and you think that everybody should listen to you because you're just really spiritual and, and really cool, then, then let me let you know that there was a day that you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were lost without hope and without God in the world, but the 99 were left to rescue you. And if you are an old, crusty believer, and you think everybody should listen to you just because you have a lot of practical, rational experience, let me remind you, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were lost and without hope and without God in this world. But God left the 99, and He pursued and rescued you. That's the story. When these folks heard Jesus say that, oh man, 
There's a bunch of different people who are going to be at the kingdom. What should they have said? They should have said, yes, people like me. I'm one of those people that, that I'm going to be at the table. And I'm stunned and I'm amazed that that's true of me. I, I can't get over that I'm saved. But far too many of those people did not do that. Some of them were young and arrogant. Some of them were old and arrogant. But they would hear Jesus say that, that other people were going to get rescued and saved. And, and they would just say, no, I, I don't like the idea of outsiders at the table. On another day, some of those same folks turned to the disciples of Jesus. And they said this, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? Why, why, why is he doing that? And, and why did they ask that? Well, they asked that because they forgot that they were a sinner. Or maybe it wasn't forgetting. Maybe they had never acknowledged that they were a sinner. When Jesus was speaking of the 99 in Luke 15, he was saying 99 righteous who don't need repentance. And so really what he was saying was there's 99 people that are so full of their religious self that they don't even acknowledge they need Jesus. They don't even need salvation because they feel so good about their churchiness. So the 99 was a little bit different. But, but what if we had a 99 and, and they were saved? What if you were part of a, a 99 that was actually saved and, and you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, I don't know if I want to be left alone in the open pasture. Like, there's, there's wolves. I, I don't know that... I don't know that I like this idea of the shepherd leaving me alone. I'm not sure I want to be ostracized. I'm sure I don't want to be excluded in that way. Well, practically and theologically, that's kind of some stinking thinking. But there is a good question in there. What if there were 99 believers? What about them? One day Jesus said this, John 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. This is an amazing verse. Jesus says, my Father's will is going to be accomplished, period. God's going to give believers to Jesus, and those believers are going to come. Now, how does that work? I, I don't know. I know what the Bible says about it, and I believe it completely, but I don't know how it physiologically works. I don't know how it mystically works. I don't know how it emotionally works or how it spiritually works. I just know that Jesus says God doesn't wait for believers. Jesus says that God opens their eyes. Jesus says that God gives them to Jesus and that they come to Jesus. And Jesus says when that happens, that he becomes their all-satisfying joy and treasure. Have you ever thought about the reality of what this verse is really saying? If you're a Christian, you are a gift from God to Jesus. That's, that's amazing. I mean, think about your birthday or, or Christmas and somebody gives you a really nice gift and, and you open it up and you look at it and you go, Ah, oh, I hate this present. Man, why did you get, the, get this away from me? You're a terrible gift giver. Next time, just get me a gift card. You know? I don't know, maybe you do say that, I don't know. But most of us probably wouldn't say that. So can we imagine Jesus turning to the Father and saying, 
I mean, God, he's okay, but I mean, is there anybody else, you know, that you could give me? I mean, she seems really sweet, but Father, I think I'll just pass. No. No, Jesus receives all the gifts that the Father gives. And, and Jesus doesn't re-gift. He doesn't exchange. He doesn't return what the Father gives to him. He, he keeps those gifts. He keeps those who follow him. And if you're a believer, that is, that is amazing news. Because here's what it means. It means you will never be ostracized. It means you will never not be protected. It means you will never be excluded. It means in the moment that your spouse rejects you. In the moment that your child rejects you. In the moment that your boss rejects you. In the moment that your friends reject you. In the moment that anybody or anything rejects you, you are accepted. In the same moment, it is impossible for that not to happen. When you are in Christ, you are always included. You're always included. That can't change. The old hymn says it like this. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. What does that mean? Well, it means this, that, that even if the flame does hurt you, it can't touch your soul. Your soul is always protected. Your soul is never ostracized. Your soul is never excluded. Your soul is always included in the hands of Jesus, covered by the hands of Almighty God. See, it's impossible for these things to hurt you when you are in Christ. Keith Getty and Stuart Townend say it in a different way, just as marvelous. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand. This, this is basic theology of what it means to be a Christian. And, and I would just say, I think we miss this about being safe in Jesus about having absolutely nothing that can pluck us away from Him. But I'm going to tell you this, tomorrow afternoon, it'll feel like it. It'll feel like it at work at school. It'll feel like it at home. It'll feel like it when you're listening to the news. It'll feel like it when you're at the hospital or at the doctor. You'll feel like you're getting plucked for a moment. And I want you to know, I can't miraculously take that feeling away. But I do know this, Jesus has said that in that moment you cannot be plucked away. That is who He is. He purchased that power with His death and with His resurrection. So how does that kind of filter down into daily life? I'm going to call on Spurgeon just to help us think through this. Charles Spurgeon writes, But suppose the believer sins after coming. And he answers, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who intervenes, who steps in. He goes on. But suppose that believers backslide. And the answer from Scripture, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. He goes on. But believers may fall under temptation. 
answer from Scripture. God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that year, Abel. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. And he goes on. But the believer may fall into sin as, as David did. Yes, but he will purge them with hyssop. They shall be clean. He will wash them and they shall be whiter than snow. From all their iniquities, I will cleanse them. These are rich promises. The Father leaves the 99 to come and cleanse you from all your sin. He does that for us. And some of us come from the north. And some of us come from the south. And some of us come from the east. And some of us come from the west. And some of us are growing up as good church-going kids. And, and some of us are, are hippie idolaters. And some of us are, are wealthy adulterers. And some of us, we're just blue-collar moralists. But the God of heaven, the Lord of the universe, through His Son, has come and, and saved some of us. Listen to what Jesus says next. Verse 30. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is a big sentence. Jesus says there's some folks that nobody would ever think could ever get into heaven. <laughs> there's some folks that nobody would ever, ever expect to be sitting at the table in the kingdom of God. But they'll be there because God saved them. But then the second part, some that are the first will, will be last. It's, it's a much harsher picture. Because what Jesus is saying is, and then there will be some that everybody thought would be there. There'll be some that, that they thought they were the owners and the rulers of the church, that they were the ones that kept the church together, and they will be in hell. That is, that is difficult. That's hard. But that's what Jesus says, and Jesus never stuttered. He was always clear. Remember MacArthur again. Jesus made people either feel bad and repent or feel furious and react. So how are you reacting to Jesus? Just general question, not even with the sermon, but, but how are you reacting to Jesus? Are you reacting to Jesus with, with arrogance, with anger, with apathy, with, with pride, with fear or, or worry? Or maybe, maybe you've already reacted to Jesus and you've responded to Jesus and you've repented and you've turned and you've followed him. Or, or maybe this morning you, you're feeling bad and God's quickening your heart to repent. That's possible. And if so, that, that'd be great. Jeff Thomas says this, It all hangs on your relationship to Christ. It doesn't hang on where you come from, north, south, east, or west. That is utterly immaterial. He goes on. There are no favored zones and no holy lands. There is just God's holy Son, Jesus. And the question is, do you have Him? And by Him, have you gone through the narrow door? 
have you. If you haven't, please know that that door is still open. Right now, it's open. So come to Jesus. And if you have, oh, please, please, if you have gone through the door, then let us line up at the door and let us pray and let us plead and let us cheer that many might enter through the door. Let us not be crusty Christians who say, no, no, we like it in here. We have it the way we want it. No, let us be at the door cheering and pleading and praying because here's why. One day, God left the 99 for you. And guess what? God still leaves the 99. God still rescues. God still takes the lost and He makes them 